Hello everybody, welcome back. Um, I don't know how long ago my last episode was, so I'm not even gonna tell you. It's been a while because, oh my god. But um, hey, one second, because I'm lying down like on my back, so I wanna like change positions so that you know my voice doesn't sound like I'm on the phone to you and it sounds like I'm recording so excuse my fatness while I shovel myself okay here we go we're moving oh my god here we go oh my god I think I took the bed with me Jesus of the Christ so Boys and girls, sisters and brothers, uncles and aunties, and everyone in between, how are you? And I missed you. So, what is happening with me since we last spoke? First of all, I feel like I have a billion and one podcasts at this point, because when you are quarantining alone... And you're battling mental health, you're battling life, you're battling thoughts, and you're in the middle of a global pandemic where the smallest joy in your life, which was escaping of work, social circle, or just simply being out, those things are not the same anymore. Because I just feel like there is a great big hump, great big cloud, great big dark blur that's in the air, right? So I have two choices. I can either let the darkness swallow me and completely just fuck it all, or I can keep going. And the thing is, I choose to keep going because I survived in Like, I knew for a very, very long time that I was suffering about things that are not okay. Shit that happened to me when I was a kid, stuff that continued happening when I was a teenager, and a whole lot of things that I'd never dealt with as a child. Because when you are going through the robotic set cycle of life, you think, I'm supposed to go to school, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to go to college next, I'm supposed to study this, I'm supposed to get this job, I'm supposed to, you know, you're supposed to do a robotic cycle, set rules, set by whoever the fuck, right? So your brain, your thoughts, your trauma, your emotions, your pain, your whatever, they take second seat. Now, over the last couple of years, I'm proud of the way mental health has become an open conversation. Although I feel like some people are taking the piss with it because some celebrities and a whole bunch of other politicians and dumb fucks are like, uh, mental health matters, you're, you're important, and we should talk, yes, never be alone, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they do the opposite straight away, and I'm like, the fuck, like, you make no sense. So... People are stupid, basically, right? They've got one way of saying things, then they've got another way. Then there's us, those who have the demons of mental health within us, those who have been 
carrying these demons for years and years and years and therapy and discussions and talks and and whatever it's not quite going through here's the thing about getting help in air quotes i put this right it's a very easy thing to say i can say it to you right now sitting here or lying here more like in my bed and say to you if you're going through the most, you're not alone. There's so many people going through the same thing as you. It's okay not to be okay. You're all right. Get help. Seek help. Yes. So, okay, fine, you sought help. How do I do that, though? Speak to your GP. That's the first thing. Whether it's your weight, addiction, you know, whatever pain we're going through, the first port of contact, speak to your GP, right? And if you are lucky, you will have a GP who is a informed person and puts you, the patient, at the forefront of whatever. That they actually listen. A lot of medical professionals, I love you guys, I respect you. You literally saved my life, okay? So I respect you. But there is a difference I've noticed a huge difference between the medical professional that goes to medical school and gains their medical knowledge and is a student of medicine because they are very good at knowing the science and they have read the case studies and they have read the statistics and they have looked at the medications and they have, do you know what I mean? Like they're very scientific mindset. The human aspect is missing. And that human aspect is people who went into medicine because there is a reason beyond I need to study medicine or I'm good at science, therefore I'm going to do this or I like chemistry or I like biology or I like blah, blah, blah. No, when you realize when you're in the medical field, I think teaching and medicine are the two jobs, okay, two jobs where you have literally human, the future of humanity in your hands. We realize this global pandemic has shown us that medical profession, especially our NHS, we are very privileged people in the United Kingdom. And I am blessed to be growing up, to have grown up and to live in the United Kingdom. That's why the amount of volunteering thing that I do and the amount of things that I do, when people say to me, ain't it a bit much? I'm like, it's the least I can do because there are people doing way more than me. So I feel like we all have a duty to protect our country and not just be a robot that goes to work or goes to school and comes home and you can't just focus on you. We have to focus on what's around us. Whether you're in the UK listening to me or you're in another country, it doesn't matter. Even if your leader of that country is bullshit, you still have a duty to your community. You still have a duty to your country. And you know what? You do belong. You're not, you're, you know, whatever who you are is not represented by the voice of one, like, racist piece of shit. No, you matter. You're important. So... Your importance and your value comes from the actions that you put in. You put in and you get it back. You get back what you put in. It's easy as cheesy and truth. But the point I was making is this. When medical professionals who study about mental health or who study about whatever, just study, study, study. 
and they see way too many people because over the last couple of years like I said on the one hand brilliant the awareness of mental health has gone really well but that means the number of people seeking mental health has also gone up so the doctor or the therapist or the psychotherapist or the whoever uh, that used to have, I don't know, 10 to, two, you know, 5, 10, whatever patients now has like a thousand and one patients. And there is some form of point where somewhere in there, they themselves starts to have a mental health breakdown because they're overwhelmed. And they're supposed to be the fixer, you know, fix me. I'm feeling shit. I'm going through all of this. Fix me. And I realised that they can't fix you straight away. So medication comes into the point. They look at the statistics. They look at the symptoms. They listen to your story. Uh, yep, you fill into this. You fit into this box. Tick, 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 tick. Here are the number score that you got out of this score. You it highly. I remember the first time I spoke to the psychotherapist and she was listening to me and she was writing down there were three doctors involved in the early stages of my treatment. There was the psychotherapist from the outside. There's the the main doctor who I was supposed to see when I was in the ward. But she wasn't there all the time. So there was this guy. Oh my God, we called him Dr. Doom. Because he was doom. Like he was very, very... Oh, the number of people that cried. The number of people that became ten times worse when they got involved with that man. Like the, this man sent me back to an environment that I said was causing my trauma. Because he said, you've been here for this many days now and you're fine because we saw you smiling and, 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 and you look okay and you're articulate and you're doing okay now. Therefore, you're ready to be discharged. To where though? Where, where do I go? Well, I'm afraid, da, 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 da. no, you can't, I'm afraid, da, da, da. where the fuck do I go? And then he's like, okay, well, we need you to get a letter that says you can no longer go here. And I'm like, how do I do that? How do I get this? Oh, you must return then. Like he actually sent me back. And I remember what happened that day that I was outside, it was raining. And once obviously the letter didn't work because I knew it wouldn't work. I remember standing in the street corner crying, asking myself, what the hell? What am I going to do? I can't go back in there. I can't go to the hospital. Where am I going? What's the point of it all then? So that's when the thought of what's the point of it all, when you have nowhere to go and the people that you sought help to, you did what you're supposed to do. You reached a point of broken when all of your past came to you and you were drowning so you said what's the point and you decided to end it but then a small angel saved you pulled you by the coat of your jacket before you went in front of the bus and you spent the time in the hospital to recover to heal okay so you're doing all right now good but you have nowhere to go you're not in your job anymore because you couldn't do your job anymore. You literally are rock bottom. So now what? Now what? And now when I look at homeless people on the street, I never look at them as homeless people on the street anymore. I see me. 
I see me in every single one of them because once upon a time, he or she tried to get help. Whether it was for addiction, whether it was for pain, whether it was for trauma, whether it was for something, they tried to get help. But help let them down because help just ticked boxes. And once they fell into that box and they were asked to take this medication, take that medication, stay there for X amount of weeks, sons, babes, you got to go. Whose fault is it? Is it the organization? Is it the institute? Is it the government? Who is it? Is it us? Are you supposed to fix your shit yourself? Who who do I blame? What? Who? I don't know. So, eventually, the lady returned. And Dr. Doom was still sitting there. But she was like straight to the point. Okay, well, if that's the case, then we're fine. I remember start having panic attacks. I do this thing, by the way. I don't know what it is. I can't find the medical reason for it, by the way. When my anxiety hits through the roof and I feel trapped, two things happen to me. One, I start to have panic attacks where I can't breathe. I literally struggle to breathe. I freeze on the spot and I struggle to breathe. The second thing that happens to me is fainting. The most random fainting that makes no sense. Like I could be literally just walking, faint. But here's the weird thing about this faint, right? I remember fainting. I've had this for years and years and years and years and years. I did it in school. It happened in college. It happened when I was working at the youth center. I fainted in front of all my kids. How embarrassing was that? It happened when I was teaching. It happened when I was walking on the road with my friend. I just felt lightheaded and I fell. And I had to wear a a brace, uh, not a brace, but crutches for a week because I hit my knee really bad on the concrete. Is it my mind? Is it my body? What is it? Why do I do that? So, I kept, the fainting happened when I was in the hospital. I couldn't sleep, so they put me on sleeping medication, which really helped. Zopiclone, oh, that's the one. If you're ever struggling to sleep and there's thoughts trapping you, must have Zopiclone. It's really good for you. Eventually, later on, I was put on to Cetraline. Started at 50 and then went up to 100. But instead of making me better, it just made me nauseous made me have headache, made me have stomachache, made me feel shit way worse than I was before. But I don't want to make you feel sad by telling you all the doom and gloom. I want to fast forward because this was like, you know, I was hospitalized in February. No, I started going to dark mode since July, way, way back actually, January of 2019. That's when it starts to go bad. It was someone's name and the smell is what triggered it. Someone's name. They were on the phone. I heard their name said. And then for some reason, I had the smell. And then that created a downward spiral. And I wish... Back, way back when, January 
2019. Maybe if I sought help then. Maybe if I admitted it to myself. This isn't right. Maybe, maybe. And the reason why I'm being honest with you is I want you to the moment you are triggered. The very moment you are triggered. Whether it's your GP, whether it's your whoever. You have to, have to, have to, have to start the process. Because you can tackle it earlier on. But I didn't. I continued working. And I remember I was working. I was doing a little... Because that was my thing. We all have our thing, by the way. Let me just say that. We all have our thing. When you're going through shit and emotions try to break you, we have our thing, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's fighting, whether it's exercising, whether it's running. You know what I mean, right? We have our thing that we do because when you do that thing it channels your whatever into that thing for me it was being busy so teaching by day and in the evening I was going to these leadership programs and in the weekend I was doing this community project thing and then during the school holidays I was still part of this other community project thing and I was basically I was busy Busy, 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 busy. Because the more I was doing, the more my mind was occupied. And therefore, whatever that was triggering me, whatever that was hurting me, whatever that was, I would push it back. Go away, go away. Go in this cupboard. Close the door. Stay there. Don't come out. I've got shit to do right now. And so I carried on. But I felt myself... I felt myself like an outsider looking in at myself. Like I had an out-of-body experience. Because even though I was so busy, I was just existing. But not living. I was a corpse doing all the things that my name is supposed to be doing. My body is doing it, but my mind wasn't here. I was smiling, I was laughing, I was putting on eyeshadow, I was putting on lipstick, I was putting on really nice fancy scarves, taking selfies, going out with my friends, all of these, da 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 da, everything. And people were like, oh, look at her, she's getting, I was nominated for awards. I was, I went all the way to like Liverpool to get like an award. I didn't win it, I became a runner-up, but the fact that I was in Liverpool at this prestigious National Diversity Award, role model in, what the, what was it, in faith, culture, something, something, right? But it was nice, I met amazing people over there, but did I feel any of it? No, didn't feel a single thing. Existing, walking, moving. My tiny, beautiful humans in my classroom. There was the only thing that I felt. Only thing that I felt was my kids. Because I saw myself in all of them. When I was a child and I needed help. When I was a child, I saw that kid. The kid that comes into my classroom and he has a smell and the other kids are making fun of him. And I would immediately call his parents to explain what was going on and the kid that was just not getting it 
the kid that was just behavior challenge the kid that was just you know what i mean each and every especially those kids who are not perfect according to the standards of who the fuck those were my favorite kids when i was supposed to have favorites those were my favorite kids because those kids were battling their own whatever they are a child how is a child supposed to be perfect how is a child supposed to know it all in year one or year two because i was teaching a mixed year one and two class they are a toddler literally a baby they're not supposed to know anything yet when they're in my classroom from eight forty-five to 3 30 until they're in there with me i am protecting them not just writing shit on a board that they're supposed to absorb. And that's the battle I had with my senior leaders all the time. Because I wanted to make education child-friendly. I wanted these kids to perform. I wanted these kids to listen to music. I wanted these kids to explore their personality, their identity, as more than just writing stuff on a book. There was a child who had horrific handwriting to a point where you can't understand what she's writing. And every time her parents would sit with me, they'd be like, Miss, why isn't she improving? And I'm like, "Um, she wouldn't even look at me in the eye when she first came to the class. But she stood in front of everyone in the, you know, assembly and acted in the play. She starts our morning sing-along the very first person to put her hand up for it she has started to walk up to children and become friends without me getting them to be together she started to do this herself she is improving and she is perfect just because her handwriting is not there she's in year one let her handwriting be shit but let her develop as a person because pretty soon the handwriting is a skill that she can improve and she's a child in a technological world she can type it if worse comes to worse and to me that was the improvement that this child who could barely look at anyone in the eye whose voice was so low so low that i had to be like what's that sweetheart every time she said something this kid was reading stuff in assembly i was so proud and you know what there was a time when education was like that when teachers connected with children and we were allowed to be that person that just had the opportunity to build these children but somehow along the way there is a guy on top of the other guy on top of this lady on top of who on top of that that has policies and bullshit that is supposed to determine what the expectation of children are and because this guy has to answer to this person has to answer to this person has to answer to that person the child gets lost in translation Because all I'm doing and all the other teachers are doing is trying to battle our own bullshit while being overwhelmed with external bullshit of expectations that we're supposed to fulfill. Impossible expectations. Therefore, the consequence, the children, the very whole purpose of why we are in that room. 
So imagine dealing with that and the bullshit that I was dealing with. And on top of that, I had this community thing that I was part of that suddenly became political because there was a man who had beef with the lady and the lady somehow brought me into the conversation and I was on her side because she's my partner, but the man was like, oh my God, but she's bad. And then somehow my mom came into the conversation and then this happened and then that happened and oh my God, I couldn't breathe. The things that were my escape have become my burden. School was getting too much. The community project was killing me. To a point where I started taking money out of my own overdrafts and stuff to pay for some of the things. Because we had no funding. I didn't know how to apply for funding. She didn't know how to apply for funding. Therefore, we needed, but there was events to do homeless projects to do this to do that to do that to do and i'd be like but you have money in your account it doesn't matter whether it's overdraft it doesn't matter whether it's this spend it spend it now and that was the thing that we kept saying to each other all the time when we get funding later on the money will go back when we get funding later on the money will go back we just had this expectation of later on but eventually i quit because i couldn't breathe I needed that peace that wouldn't come and I couldn't breathe. And I quit the school because I couldn't breathe. And I stopped doing the external things and all of that because I couldn't breathe. And now we're um, around November, I think, of 2019. September, November-ish. Oh, let me tell you, when I couldn't, whatever, at the school and I, you know gave my resignation, the head teacher accepted it. She said, fine, but she didn't even tell me that she accepted it. I gave the letter to um, the other head teacher, the deputy head, who's supposed to give it to the head teacher, and she didn't tell me anything. I thought, oh, it's not me, because I, I gave the resignation around June, right? But because it was a private school, I wanted to be courteous and say, and I said it very clearly. I said, I need you to let me go. But, however, I remember saying it verbally. If you can't find anyone during the summer, when you put the... Because um, summer is six weeks. They had six weeks to uh, advertise. Because when I got the job, um, that's what happened. I got the job in the summer. Because the teacher before me quit. And the teacher after her quit. And then the teacher that was working with me quit which goes to show you the kind of school that I was at because there was just a huge turnaround of teachers. And so when I was quitting, I was under the notion that you'd have a whole six weeks, but it doesn't work like that. You've got to give four weeks notice, right? So I verbally said, I will stay here, even if it means I stay here until the you know, first term when we return, okay? I'll basically be here until you find my replacement but that resignation letter was to let you know that I'm officially stepping down. So please know that that's where I stand. However, I'm not just going to walk out of the school. I will be here. And then the deputy head said, yeah, of course, you're amazing. Thanks. You don't have to do that. Oh, no, I want to do that. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you. So I'm waiting. That's what she said. But I'm waiting from the head teacher. And I don't hear anything. This was, I think, 
I don't know, June something that I gave the letter. But I wasn't stupid. I knew that, you know, I'm supposed to give this letter in April or even down February if I wanted to quit for July. I knew that. I didn't do it. So this was a a letter that said, I'm drowning. My mental health is suffering. I'm drowning. I've got so much going on. So please let me go. I'm giving you the courteous, you know, understanding. If it was a state school, I would have followed whatever. This was a private school that had a huge turnaround of teachers. So she knew eventually they were all going to quit. But I did say, I'm not leaving until you find my replacement. I'll be here for you. But she didn't even like hear. I don't know if the deputy head passed the message on. I don't know what happened. Fast forward July as the school is coming to an end of term. I'm preparing myself for September because I didn't hear back from the head teacher, so I assume she didn't accept the resignation. So I was like, okay, cool. So we're just preparing for is the summer's coming to, you know, summer term is here, so let's just finish, you know, what we need to finish, and then we're all going on holidays. Yay. Then a colleague of mine randomly three days before school closes three days comes up to me and she says yo say bye to your kids I'm like what do you mean say bye to your kids I heard because she was in the senior leadership team I heard in our senior leadership chat that you're leaving this is your like and I'm like yeah I gave the resignation but I'm not leaving because she hasn't accepted it she hasn't said anything to me and she goes apparently she doesn't need to because you gave the letter. So by giving the letter, it was you acknowledging that you're leaving and she didn't need to accept that. And I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. I wrote the letter, but surely she needs to say, sure, I accept. And we need to, you know, set boundaries. She goes, you know what, Ify? We'll get through to it later. But right now, I just need you to protect your heart. Because she knew how close I was to my kids. So she was like, start saying bye to your kids. So the end of year party that we were having suddenly became a goodbye party. Now, can you imagine the mental fuck up that is doing to children? If I'd known in June that she accepted my letter, I would have had the whole of June plus the whole of the first, because this is July 27th. I would have had that long to prepare the kids. But I had three-day notice. We were getting ready for a party. But now that party became sad because I was saying goodbye to them. Myself and the teacher before me, my co-teacher, for the first time in that school's, I don't know, whatever, we had kids from year one all the way to year six affected by us leaving because of the change we made in the school and because of the impacts that we had and because of the environment that we created in our classroom for the first time ever that classroom had a reading corner the original space was literally a corner in the classroom with a bookshelf that was a reading corner and you know what's sad they have this perfect arch In the background, that was made for a reading corner. A lot of schools would die for that reading corner. And we turned it into what it's supposed to be. A corner with cushions and carpet and comfort. Where kids could sit and read. 
oh my god even teachers used to sneak in there to just either pray or to just like lie down and just be for a while and i just it was sad that they didn't take us so um yeah so it was just it was sad basically and i knew then that i officially started letting the darkness start to swallow me the things that i was all the cupboards that i closed remember them they were starting to open because my heart was now hurting and my head was aching and everything was just becoming too much and so the time comes 3 days preparing the kids saying goodbye to parents confusion in the air and then the head teacher said to me she said to me she was like tell the kids you're leaving but don't tell the parents you're leaving <laughs> because that makes no sense she she's like don't tell because she didn't know that i knew that she was letting me go right she thought and she does this to a lot by the way she does this to a lot of people if you dare leave the school right she never lets you say your goodbyes she will just literally on the last day of term or the last week of school like on the friday she will just come up to you and be like well thanks for everything and uh, take care so you're supposed to now just walk off with no human acknowledgement of what happened but i didn't listen to that i will always be grateful to the colleague that warned me because fuck you bitch i will write a letter to my parents to say goodbye i will have a party with my children to say goodbye i will have a moment with my ta to say goodbye i will i've put 2 years of my life two academic years of my life into the school that i have built so much that i have added so much and you are not going to take my human relationships that i build fuck you you're not going to take that away from me so even though i was in pain and i was drowning with emotions i still managed to remain professional to say goodbye to my kids in a way that was honorable and deserving and i wrote a powerful letter to the parents acknowledging the relationship that we built and how proud i was to be their you know the teacher for their children and then my kids and i were able to just party and this is the beauty of my colleagues and the relationships that i built within 3 days my co-teacher was able to come back to the school fast the other members of uh, staff were able to like run around and create like my goodbye like you know this book that i would never forget i have it it's huge like a like a4 or not a4 it's like a5 like it's huge 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 book basically and in that book is memorabilia from my wall memorabilia from like cards and letters that the children have written kids from year 1 all the way up to year 6 and letters that the teachers have written for me there were so many beautiful things that I will always treasure that they've written for me and and pictures so many pictures of me and the staff and you know cuz obviously I couldn't take the kids pictures with me but there was drawings that i could take with me though 
of their tiny faces that are just imperfect little, you know, things that they drew for me, which is the best art in the world. That wonky little person that the student draws for you and underneath it they write, you are awesome, <laughs> you are epic, you are dramatic and you are fun. <laughs> but I will always have, there's this card, my co-teacher and I, 99% of every card that we receive has both of our names on it. Because when we are together, we are magic, right? Always, always. There's this particular card that we both took pictures of because we couldn't have it. Like, But I have it. I have the original because I was the most closest to the student. And in the card, she wrote, Dear my name and my co-teacher's name, you are the peace that holds my heart together. Oh my God, I cried. I, I, oh, I cried so hard when I read that. And there's this other one where it was this, um, like a candle um, cup, a glass thing. He's got my name and in it he wrote, he, he put like this little chalk writing and it said, thank you, miss. That's it. And there's this other card where he didn't write much inside, but the cover says, you did it. <laughs> my kids are so special honestly 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 and there was this rainbow and inside the rainbow this beautiful child wrote you are cheeky you are fun you are awesome you are epic you're amazing you're kind you're funny you're the best and I will always love you I died I literally died right there <laughs> I died and there was these parents that wrote um on this card what you've done for my child in the short time that you taught him was something that we will always treasure. A great teacher is never forgotten. I, whew, it's just words, but they are gold. Because when you are, they didn't understand what I was going through. They didn't know. No one knew the darkness I was battling, but that was medicine, medicine. But school closes, I make my goodbyes to the kids and my the teachers that I was closest to, um, we had a little, um, you know, leaving do. And then um, comes the, you know, the last few days basically kids are gone by the 27th but you know as school's closing cleaning up I didn't just want to walk out I wanted to make sure that at least my classroom was cleared and you know I took my stuff properly I needed two cars by the way that's how much shit I had in that classroom the teacher before me the main teacher before me she had a van because she purchased like 99% of the stuff in that room so you have to understand like the pressure that was we were in in terms of the stuff that we had in our classroom so I wanted all my stuff all my junk with me to remember so now this is like as everyone's starting to go and then the last day and they talk about oh so I had like the I met the new teacher by the way there was a new teacher that was found straight away so yay cool 
I met the new teacher and um, I was giving her the handover and, you know, passing on all the lessons and etc, etc, right? And then um, as I was doing this, um, we were told there's going to be an insert day because they wanted to get rid of, get it out of the way now so that when you return from the summer, you didn't have to come back for an insert day. You just came back for school. So let's get the insert day out of the way now, which is like trainings, etc, right? Now, usually, even the going teacher, it doesn't matter. We all are part of the insert because I'm passing on the knowledge to the new teacher. But she wouldn't let me go into the insert day. And I was like, you know what? It's cool. I'm in the room, however, just writing, like, you know, letters and writing the next, you know, terms, timetable. All I'm still helping them because, again, the kids are number one. And plus, my TA was really nice. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do this for her. So I find out that I wasn't getting paid. That I was going to be charged a thousand pound fine for leaving before the term and not giving the um, enough notice. Now, this is the summer holiday. I'm about to go to my family. And there will be a thousand pound deduction of my salary after this woman allowed me to be in the school from June when I told her this letter, although throughout July, she didn't give me a warning that I was going to be fined, blah, blah, blah. Apparently it's in your contract and you're supposed to know. But as I verbally said to the deputy head, I know and I acknowledge that this is not within the four weeks. I'm giving you this letter to let you know that I'm drowning. If you can accept, then great, I will go by the end of July. If, however, you can't accept and you need me to stay here until you find a replacement, I will wait. Even if that means I come back in September and leave in October, I will wait. But apparently that message was lost in translation and I was fined. And that would mean like a chunk, huge chunk of my salary was taken from me. Now, add the bullshit I was already going with. Add the anxiety and the emotional heartache of the last minute, you know, shock of knowing that I was supposed to go without saying goodbye to everyone that's what she expected now add the fact that I've worked in this school for an entire month and I would not be getting paid for the work that I did a huge chunk of my salary is going to be taken from me and summer holidays are about to come I have two siblings at home and I basically we can't do anything that we planned because a massive part of my salary has just been taken from me I remember fainting, but I was by myself, luckily. I was in the toilet and I passed out. I knew that when my emotions heighten, I pass out. I knew this. I felt it coming. So I excused myself. I went to the bathroom. I passed out. And I came to, splashed water on my face, came back into the classroom, continued doing the planning that I was doing. And then the insert day continued and everything happened. Sometime in the afternoon, 
she comes into the room and she says I'm just about to order lunch and you should have some and I said no I don't want some and she said no I'm not accepting no for an answer you will have some you will. come on Ifra you have to you have to eat something come on come on and she's holding me and pulling me towards like where the food is the same room where they just had the insert training and I wasn't allowed in there. Oh, come in here now. I'm forcing you. I'm dragging you to come in here now so you can eat with us. In the room were two male um, teachers and I felt uncomfortable because one of the male teachers knows me from an external organization and I didn't want him to get into my business like that. So I was like, you know what, if we fuck it, let's just let's just go in there and at least I get to see my colleagues. So I walk into the room and I sit down and she piles my plate with food. And I'm like, okay. And I just sit there and I eat. And I tasted nothing. This is a plate full of food, spicy food. But I tasted nothing. I don't know why. Maybe I had early COVID before COVID happened. But I don't know, I never tasted it. I swallowed the food, I didn't feel full. This was a giant plate of food. I didn't feel full, I didn't taste anything. I was just numb. Like I was just, I remember looking from the faces of the people that were talking to me and people are talking, they're laughing around me, they're including me into the joke and I'm laughing along, but I'm not there. Remember, I'm an external, outside, looking into a body that's mine, that's moving, that's doing all these things. My mind wasn't there. My heart wasn't there. I wasn't there. I died. I wasn't there. And that's when... I remember that day was when the first death thought entered my head. It hasn't happened for a long time. In my early teenage years, as well as like the first, second year of university, was the last time that I had death thought. As in like, what's the point? That was the question that I always have. What's the point of it all? But that day, it came back into my head. That what's the point of it all? What's the point of it all? I'm going to my family and I have no money. When it comes to the pressure that's put on me with money, that's another episode for another time. But I knew that it was going to be bad. I knew that my bills, like I would be home for the summer and... I would have the burden of not paying my bills and stuff. So then lunch finishes, put the food away. I'm back in the classroom. I'm still typing away. She comes back to me. Again, I feel nothing. Remember, I'm numb. So I'm, I, I have no connection. I have no reaction to her at this point. I just, she's talking, she's moving, she's blah, blah. I feel nothing. So she comes to me and she says, hey, so I know the check you're supposed to be getting is you know this amount but I've decided to actually give you 600 pounds you know you've done amazing and uh, you know I just I just I just think don't even question it you know I wouldn't do it for anyone else and don't tell anyone I'm doing this this woman is giving a speech as if she is doing a huge favor for me by saying that she's giving me £600 for being the class teacher for two mixed year groups, year one and two, plus being the literacy coordinator, plus running various after-school projects, plus running the school choir projects. 
on a whole bunch of shit that I do at that school. She's giving me £600 for the end of summer term and I'm about to be letting on a secret. Like as if she's doing something amazing for me. And I said, you know what, Effie? No, I didn't say anything because I felt nothing. I just nodded. I was like, I just, thank you. And then I remember she gave me a hug as if this was a moment between us, as if we just had a moment. And I remember smelling her BO because she had a very strong, distinct BO. And that was only like I smelt. I wasn't tasting anything, I wasn't feeling anything, but at least my senses of smell were still with me because I remember like closing my breath as she hugged me because it was very strong sense as she came closer to me. I remember that. And then she leaves me and then she says, okay, cool. So then school comes to an end. We all go home and I check my bank account. It's 350 pounds or was it 320 pounds something like that is in my account instead of the 600 that she mentioned so i text her and i said hello miss just letting you know that's in my account because 600 pound is better than nothing at this point that's why i keep telling myself it's injustice but i can't go to a union because even though i am a member of a union and i pay a union i don't know what the point of a union is by the way when a fucking union tells you oh if the issue happened before you call us or after you call us we can't do anything about it like i don't get it isn't the whole point of a union be um help me i'm going through this shit at work isn't that what it's supposed to be I don't know what the, it's supposed to be. But anyways, I remember calling a union and trying to get help. But they basically said to me, like, because this happened before, um, we, something, something, I'm sorry, we can't get involved. <laughs> I didn't even react to that. I didn't feel anything. I was just like, cool. I just, you know, closed the email. I was like, sure, no problem. So I texted her. And I'm like, the 600 you said is not there. And she goes, I'm going to Hajj. <laughs> the hypocrisy of it all i'm going to hajj i'm going to or was it umrah i don't know what the hell she was doing but she went to some like an islamic pilgrimage thing right so she was like i'm doing that but um, once i come back i'll do it and i'm like how long are you going for this woman was gone for like a month i think i don't know she was gone i don't know if she went straight to hajj or if she went somewhere else but i remember she traveled a lot in the summer she traveled a lot probably using my thousand pounds <laughs> she traveled a lot and I struggled to get a hold of her because even the administrator of the school they can't do anything the person who hands out the salaries she can't do anything because all things has to go through her and she was just casually traveling the world while our electricity at home got cut off because I didn't have the bills to pay for it and she was traveling the world this is summer. I'm, I've been teaching up until this point. I am tired. I should be resting and I should be taking time out. But instead, I was looking for any private tutoring, anything that I could do to, part, to earn extra cash. And because it's summer, no one wanted to tutor. Because it's summer, like a lot of educational institute or whatever is just done and i asked myself should i get a job at a supermarket or anything should i should i but i was numb i couldn't move 
So I became bedbound. For the duration of the summer, I became bedbound. Like literally, I would get up to use the loo and then I would go back. I think the whole of summer, I don't, I think I showered like once. My, like literally, my sister came into my room one day and started to crying when she saw the state that I was in. Because the everything, the cupboards have now fully opened. Everything has fully opened. I was drowning. The one tiny hope I had was the community project I was part of and the um, leadership program that I was part of because both of those had stuff to do, which required me going outside and being with other people. So I would shower and I would, you know, start to go out to these things. So when I'm there, I switch on this new personality. That's a thing that I noticed I have, by the way. I have the professional face, right? In my professional face, I'm smiling. I make jokes. I am awesome. But in my personal face, once my professional face goes away, which means when I take off the hijab, when I take off the makeup, I'm literally taking off one aspect of me. And the bare part of me with the hair out and the my face clear, that's the broken me. I remember telling one of the people in the hospital that I am professionally successful, I'm fine, but personally lost and broken. And so that professional me, once I saw that, I was like, bitch, hold on to this. Hold on to this because it's good. Because now I can shut the cupboards again. I can do it. I can shut it up again. So I started to shut the cupboards up again. And I became more and more involved. I remember we even went to the Conservative Party conference in fucking Manchester. Yeah. All of these things that I was doing. Because I was out. I remember in, was it September or something? I went to Liverpool. That's when I went to Liverpool. And the community project, we started doing this um, whole lot of things. We started planning for this Eid and then this like a Ramadan thing. And we started planning this other thing. There were so much things that I planned that year in 2019 with community and leadership and stuff like that. And I held on to these things because they were my escape. When I look at other people who are in need, I keep telling myself, I know you're not okay. I know you're broken, but they're also going through this. They're literally homeless or they're literally this or they're literally struggling with languages. So we launched a language program for adults. And I remember the elections were coming up in December. So we started to do all of this making politics human campaign for people who didn't even know how to vote. They weren't even registered. So we encouraged them to register And we encourage them to understand politics, to have open dialogue. There was a woman who was Muslim, who was Somali, but she was conservative. And she was talking about why she's a conservative. And everyone was looking at her like she is mad. But I remember telling her, you know what? If that's you, it's okay. It's okay. You are allowed to have an opinion. You are allowed to have an opinion. I'm a proud labor activist. I will always be, but this is my choice. So you have a choice. That's the beauty of democracy. And so facilitating that dialogue, the youth thing that we were doing, all of these became my escape and I was fine. 
fast forward now because I don't want to go through each one. We had the election thing happen. Then we had the Christmas homeless dinner happen. Then we had the Holocaust Memorial Day happen. But I'm telling you, numb, 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 numb. I think in November I signed up to an age. I signed back to my agency. I've been part of my teaching agency since 2014, I think. And whenever I get out of mainstream, you know, education and I want to do like a one-off, you know, whenever I can kind of going into schools, I always go to, and my agency are amazing, the best agency I feel in here. Love them. And especially my consultant, the most patient woman in history, right? Love her. So, but I couldn't do it. I found an amazing school in Stoke Newington, so close to my house. Two schools, the secondary and the primary, had to fail both. For the first time in my life, I started to have people complain about me. And I'm sure it was shocking for my agent because I used to have praise about me when I go to schools. But this wasn't me. I wasn't it. I wasn't me. I wasn't 100% me. I was a broken person trying to keep going, but I couldn't because I wasn't okay. And eventually... When January, the Holocaust Memorial event happened, I remember telling myself, you're going out with a bang. This was the promise you made to the Holocaust survivors and you did it. You've been doing it for years. This year was really good. So go out with a bang. There Now would be the perfect time to go because even though 2019 was the worst year of your life, It was the best professional year of your life. So when January ended, February the 6th or the 5th, I remember very clearly, I was in my house and I thought, let me get help first. I went to the GP to get help. I remember sitting with this male doctor. He was so nice. He didn't do anything. He did his job, but he didn't help me. He just talked at me. So I went outside to wait for the bus that would take me home. It was outside the hospital and the GP. I left. I walked into the main road. And I walked right in front of the bus. And a woman pulled me back. Just before the bus did what it was supposed to do. And then she wouldn't leave me until I walked into Homerton. I did. I walked in. I told them what I did. They listened hours and hours and hours of sitting and waiting and listening and crying and talking and eventually my treatment started and since then I've been recovering this first open was me telling you and the next time I'll tell you what happened between the moment I checked in to now how I've coped and where I am But hey, as the hour comes to a close, I haven't cried once. I haven't had any suicidal thoughts. And I haven't had any painful flashbacks. I feel sad, but it's not painful flashbacks. And that's how I know I'm on the road to recovery. And when I record again, I'll tell you some of the things that I've done and how I survived the lockdown while living in a hostel. My friend, 
wherever you're listening to me from. I appreciate you. I'm grateful to you. And I thank you. Speak to you soon. And please stay safe. Bye-bye.